0: Welcome to Mindful Elevation, a podcast that explores the healing powers of energy psychology and mindfulness. My name is Rachel Tallheimer, and I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker with Elevate Counseling. Join me in my conversations with some incredible guests to see how energy psychology has impacted their lives and how you can use it to improve yours. Not only are these guests my friends and colleagues, but they're clinical professionals with expertise in their fields. These conversations are packed with laughter, honesty, and tons of insight into energy psychology. Feel free to listen at your own pace and in your own space. Thanks for tapping in to today's conversation. Welcome back to Mindful Elevation for this week's episode. Today, I sit down with my friend and colleague, Nicole Broderick, to talk about trauma and its effect on our body and brain. Nicole is a licensed mental health counselor who received her master's degree at Lesley University, specializing in music therapy in 2018. For the past five years, she has worked with children, adolescents, families, and adults. Nicole specializes in trauma-focused work, utilizing the model Attachment, Regulation, and Competency Model, or the ARC model, as well as other techniques. She has worked in community-based acute treatment, partial hospitalization programs, and was a clinical director at a latency age group home. She was also a transition coordinator at a therapeutic day school, helping students ages 12 to 22 prepare for life after high school. Now she is a full-time elevator at Elevate, helping all ages work through their trauma as well as other difficult aspects of life. We know trauma can be a heavy topic, but in this short conversation, we keep it as light and informative as possible. We're excited to talk to you today. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you. I'm so excited. Do you wanna start with what is the definition of trauma?
1: So everyone's so focused about what's happened to them. I'm not the biggest fan of the whole little T, big T stuff with trauma. I think that anyone can experience any sort of trauma. Granted, anyone can have a bad day, It's more about what's happening on the inside. So trauma is not about what's happened to you or the significance of what has happened to you or what you've experienced. It's more about the chemical bodily response on the inside as a result of what's happened to you.
0: I talk about trauma to so many of my clients. And I find that a lot of my clients, especially the adolescents, will minimize or invalidate their own trauma saying things like my parents were never that bad so why do I feel this way? But you're telling me that trauma is not defined by what happens to you but rather how your body and brain responds to the event. So tell me about how the brain responds to a traumatic event. I'm going to stumble over the four F's of the response of trauma.
1: When we're experiencing Trauma, it can leave an impact on our brain and our mind. Similar to, you know, if we experience like a physical trauma, we might have a scar. And what happens is that a disturbing event can activate, and I love this word, the amygdala. And it's a structure in the brain responsible for detecting threats. So it responds by sending out an alarm to the multiple body systems and prepares for defense. And so the sympathetic nervous system jumps into action, stimulating the release of adrenaline and neuroadrenaline and all these other stress hormones that prepare for the body for
0: fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. A lot of people have heard about fight or flight, and some people have heard about fight, flight, or freeze. But so few people know about fawn. What is that?
1: So when we think of the word, it's those people pleasers out there are the fawners. Fawn is like basically you're people-pleasing with others. You're trying to make sure everyone else is okay. When you're fawning, again, you're more concerned about others. You're more concerned about that person that you're fawning over. A lot of people don't notice sometimes that people-pleasing is a trauma response.
0: So we know how the brain responds to a traumatic event, but I know so many people are still searching for that label, that validation that they have trauma. How do we know if we have trauma?
1: So it's really about how it's impacting your life. And that can be all-encompassing in so many areas. So it could be work. It could be relationships. It could be just being able to function in your regular society. It could be having negative physical symptoms that you think there's something wrong with you internally. Like you pulled a muscle. You have a headache. You know, certain things. But in all actuality, it really comes from the stress hormones because it affects the entire body itself. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. And sometimes how trauma impacts our body, it can be short term, it can be long term. The short term stuff, a lot of people are more familiar with, you know, if say if you get into a car accident, you get a little nervous getting into a car another time since that accident. Also, you might have a variety of fear, anxiety, anger, aggression. They're all common symptoms for the short term, but the long term is usually kind of where people start to question, like, oh, maybe I don't have trauma, I'm fine, et cetera. But They can develop an extreme anxiety, so not just your usual hesitancy or nervousness, like anxiety that's impacting you in a way where you're not able to get out of the house or you're not able to get back into the car for whatever reason, or it's somatic and it's affecting your body. Anger, sadness, survivor's guilt is a huge one of this person had this happen to them and it's similar but not as bad as my situation or survivor skills of you get into an accident and you're the only one that lives mm. dissociation which i'll talk about but my own personal experience is a fun conversation the ability to feel pleasure or uh, i always say this wrong anhedonia also ptsd and so The amygdala, like we talked about before, becomes really hyperactive, the overreaction of the distressing event leading to an outpouring, overpouring of stress hormones, like I mentioned before. So you're like living in defense mode, survivor mode. You're ever vigilant. You're always on edge of like there's going to be a threat. You're trying to prevent that threat from happening, even though there might not be a logical sense of where that threat is or how it's coming to fruition. People may experience ongoing problems with sleep as well. They might encounter certain personal or professional relationship issues and a really big diminished feeling of sense of self-worth. And another one that goes in conjunction with the dissociation piece as well is I've had a lot of clients, older adult clients, tell me I don't remember a lot of my childhood and they'll say I have great parents they were wonderful to me never had any abuse or whatever and I always tell people this when we're children we're like these little scientists I think it was Erickson that said that I might be totally wrong but we're like these like little scientists we're like a sponge we're just taking everything in if you have kids or you're in the process of having kids or you work with kids you see when they start to walk and talk and move around they're like a little mirror of you mm-hmm. and you're like oh my god I gotta watch what I say I have a list of books that I'm gonna recommend but one of the Ones that I read that I was like, Oh my god, I'm gonna mess up my future children is getting past your past, taking control of your life and with self help techniques from EMDR by Francine Shapiro, who's a creator of EMDR. And when you read it, there's so many interesting stories in there where you're like, Wow, something so simple that everyone's gone through, like as simple as a storm being afraid at four, five, six years old mm-hmm. can have a lasting impact on you. And having that humility can be extremely, extremely difficult. I have an example of dissociation, though. As Rachel already pointed out, I went for music therapy for my master's. But before my master's, I went to Bridgewater State. I actually was a music major with a psych minor. And so my instrument of specialty was the flute for those of you who don't know, when you're a music major, you know, when you're in college, you have like different levels you know, of classes, right? You have your 100, 200, 300, 400 level classes. And so it's the same as a music major when you have an instrument. And so your proficiency tests are to see how you're doing, and it gets harder and harder as you go. And that's usually once a year. It's not every semester. It's only usually in the month of May that you perform in front of all these teachers and whatnot, and they literally judge you. So the fear of it all. So the way to practice that is that they would hold every semester concerts or you would practice performing in front of people. The teachers would be there too. And I think it's also helpful to acknowledge that the teachers will also see your growth through that as well. So it's not like an end all be all as they kind of make you feel like sometimes. So I remember one of the first times I went up there, mind you, I did chorus growing up. I did band, you know, but that was with a group of people. This is my first time like being solo, essentially with the a- pianist but he doesn't count because he's a teacher and the cool thing about being a musician is that muscle memory is such a thing it's not even funny and so I went up there and I just checked out I just remember being up there taking my first breath to play and kind of checked out and then when I was done I put my flute down and I heard people clapping and then I checked back in and I was like what happened mind you I'm like 18 so I have no idea what happened yeah so I told one of my piano teachers and she had told me, well, it must be your anxiety. Like you might get nervous up there, which is normal. Like that's mm-hmm. fine. So she taught me this technique of imagining a tree that's hollowed out on the inside. I imagine the tree from the Lion King where Rafiki is. And, <laughs> and that's my childhood is coming out. And so you can go in and all these things inside the tree are things that make you feel good, that you love, and you really try to make it sentient for yourself. You try to make it very potent so that it's strong, and you have to practice it. And this is something I tell my clients all the time, if you have coping strategies, you need to practice for the potency to be good, to work well enough. I would sit and do my little meditation thing with it, and I'd practice. And the next time I went on stage, I was able to access that place for me, and I didn't dissociate in that moment which was so cool granted when I do this technique with some of my clients if they're up for it I usually let them know don't put people in there because god forbid you need to access that place and you're having an argument with that person it will be more difficult you can have people that aren't in your life in there that's a mindfulness technique that she was able to teach me that I found so helpful and I clearly graduated, thank God. But yeah, that's my dissociation story. And I share that with some of my clients too, especially because we're all human. Like just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean
0: that I know everything. I want to share a trauma response of my own. So I know you dealt with some dissociation. I had a full-on crawling out of my skin moment. And I know it was a trauma response because I know that I can tie it back to a childhood experience. A few Christmases ago, I was getting ready in the morning, and my hair was not doing what I would have liked, and my makeup was not doing what I wanted, and my outfit was just not it. And I remember looking through my closet, feeling rushed and panicked, like what else do I have to wear? And I swear the clothes on my body, it just felt like cloth prison I just needed to get that clothing off of me and I started to sweat and I started to panic and it's so interesting because we talk about trauma doesn't need to be this big thing clearly from an objective point of view having a hairdo you don't want and makeup that's not the way you want it and an outfit that's not what you want that may not be traumatic But for me in that moment, I felt rushed, I felt unprepared, and it triggered me back to maybe how I felt during my childhood. Let's say if I were being rushed to a family event and I didn't feel put together. And so that response of me sweating and crying and just crawling out of my skin, that was absolutely a trauma response. So we all have trauma?
1: Oh, for sure. The other thing, too, is that some people who don't think that they have trauma probably have trauma. And that's a part of their own symptom of not being able to realize it because they're like, this is fine. So when we have our amygdala that fires off in our brain, right, when all the emotions are coming in, the stress hormones, all of those things flowing through our body, our prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain where we are able to actively think and make choices and decisions and whatnot. It just goes offline trauma experience integration is a, is a phrase that i pull from the arc model and it's basically the progressive development of a person's capability to tolerate moments of distress make meaning about those experiences and integrate them in a way that positively informs present experiences so one of the most simple things that people can do on their own to start is just making some life changes some simple ones have better eating habits, have better sleeping patterns, trying to implement rituals and routines. And when I say rituals, not overdoing it, people. If you hold importance to washing your face every morning and night, that's a part of a routine, but it's also a ritual. Or when I go into the house and I see my dog, I always say hi to her and my husband gets super jelly because I don't say hi to him first, sorry. Yeah, so things like that. And then also exercise, making sure that we're not overindulging in any sort of drug or alcohol use spending positive time socially with friends and family, and any other type of self-care activities. So those are just like the generic ones that people can do. So with therapy, what's cool is we can help you guys with figuring out what are the triggers, what's going on, developing resilience, building an understanding of oneself, building coping strategies, and addressing unresolved feelings that are just kind of keeping you really stuck. It's really fun sitting with certain clients when they're like, okay, so this is going to be weird, but, and I always cut them off. I'm like, you don't realize how similar all of you all are.
0: I always tell people, leave your shame at the door. And if you want to pick it up on the way out, that's on you. But there's no shame, no judgment, no such thing as TMI, too much information in this room. Therapy is a safe space.
1: And I always joke with them, like, it would take a lot for you to shock me.
0: What does it mean to be trauma-informed?
1: If you're with someone who is trauma-informed, like myself, they treat the whole person, recognizing past trauma, the maladaptive coping mechanism that the individual may have adapted to survive their distressing experience. So some of those like not-so-great habits, like avoiding, is a very big one. And I always tell my clients, just tackle it. Just tackle it head on. Because if you don't, it's going to be harder for you over time. When I used to work at the school I used to work at, I'd bring the kids out into the community to practice certain things like going to the grocery store and having a grocery list and how do I make sure that I'm budgeting and all this other stuff. Sounds very practical, I know. But for a lot of people, that can be extremely difficult. And when I would go there, I'd go with my humans, some of them on the spectrum, my favorite people ever. And... I would go into the grocery store not caring what people think, and I'd be dancing in the aisles and they'd be like, Oh my God, stop, and I'd be like, No. <laughs> Good. Good. It makes me think of the four agreements, too, of like, who cares? Be you, be your authentic self. You know, obviously, there's going to be circumstances where you have to be mindful, but if you're in a place that you're just you and you're wearing your hat for who you are, enjoy the experience, enjoy the ride. So, some therapy types for trauma are pretty cool emdr oh. i already mentioned okay here we go mouthful people it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy it's kind of literally what you think it is long story short when we go to sleep at night we have rem sleep or rapid eye movement and we're downloading everything that we learned during the day and we're processing everything we learned during the day so when we have a traumatic experience there's not a great way for us to Process that Because it's trauma. Our brain doesn't have the neural pathways to be able to say, okay, you're going to be sectioned here and you're going to be in this drawer with this or whatever. So the nice ways to be with that is you reprocess the trauma with a trained individual who's certified in EMDR to be able to reprocess that with the eye movement. very very similar to like the REM sleep which is super cool amazing and if you get a really cool person who's also trained or familiar with IFS internal family systems which is one of my favorite things we're here for energy psychology here people so I'm gonna talk about some energy stuff that's pretty cool EFT emotional freedom technique Mm -hmm. love can't wait I got trained a very long time ago in it and I've lost touch no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) I'm very punny and my clients are like stop with your dad jokes and I'm like I'm sorry you gotta laugh in therapy so that you can talk it makes it easier but with EFT it's an alternative treatment for physical and emotional pain and distress and it's about tapping or like the acupressure points of the body and I'm really excited to relearn all of this because i'm gonna talk to our fearless leader leanne about it so i'm so excited i just want to get back into it because it's so helpful and it's and it's fascinating but it can help with trauma because you have the physical symptoms you have the the negative thought patterns that are connected to it and so it just really is a way to help calm the body and the mind down because i always tell my clients you need to calm your body first before you can try and process what's going on because if your body's not calm if, if your brain is not calm which is a part of the body you're not gonna be able to process that makes sense yeah so that one's really good and then any expressive therapies music art drama dance movement or just the general expressive therapy people of the world i love using music i still use music with some of my clients as long as they're interested in it it can be a great way to kind of really just digest like what's going on art is wonderful too i'm not an artist all my clients are like i can't draw and i'm like yeah me either i draw stick figures so
0: people can listen to my episode with meg about creative therapies Yep, maybe Meg can teach me how to draw better. I don't know.
1: Yoga, huge. Love yoga. Took it up a lot in like 2020 when the pandemic hit. Lost touch. You know, we get busy in the world, but stretching is so important. The breath work is so important. As a musician, breath Mm -hmm. is so important. So I learned at a very earlier age on how to breathe correctly, not with my shoulders up to my earlobes, like a lot of anxious humans do. Mindfulness setting intentions affirmations breathing when you're not feeling okay your breath is not going to be normal that's for sure guided meditation or meditation in general i can't meditate guided meditation yes if i can connect it with like art or anything or music or whatever i can definitely do that but if you sit me in a room with nothing my brain goes everywhere Mm -hmm. i can't i can't do it my brain's just always talking internal dialogue 100 percent all of the time reiki is also really cool love reiki There's so much more to talk about with trauma. That's the other thing is like, there's so much to it. And I was like, how do I condense this for everybody? Like, that's so tough.
0: So Nicole has compiled a list of books and resources for all of our listeners to check out. They're linked in the description of the podcast. So go address that trauma.
1: Yeah, literally. It's just so cool. And the book list is a good variety. One of them is the ARC model book. So, yes, technically it's for a quote-unquote therapist, but I quite frankly think anyone can read it. So I think it would be helpful.
0: Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, for sure. Thank you. Thanks for tapping into today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate Counseling, you can find us online at www.elevate-counseling.com Follow us on Instagram at elevate underscore counseling underscore services or find us on Facebook at Elevate Counseling Services. For those seeking services in Massachusetts or surrounding areas, call our intake at 508-297-1491. New episodes of Mindful Elevation will be released every last Monday of the month. And keep an eye out for energy elevators every Monday where I will be teaching energy psychology techniques and tools you can implement into your daily practice. Until then, keep grounding, keep healing, keep growing. Stay mindful.